Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, we interview inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I hope you're having an extraordinarily wonderful day. I'm doing pretty well myself, thank you very much. I might have mentioned our community class to raise funds for No Stomach for Cancer in our last episode, and we were able to raise over $100 at the last one, and I'm hoping to do the same for the next one on the evening of Thursday the 12th. I'm pretty stoked with how much we raised. Anyway, I hope you can make it along to the next one. I'll leave a link in our show notes. So for today's episode, this episode features a recorded conversation between myself, co-host Joe Stewart, and Emily May. Emily May is a Melbourne-based yoga and meditation teacher, certified yoga therapist, and Reiki master. Emily does a lot of work around anxiety, which is the topic of today's episode. Now, anxiety is an issue that affects many of us day to day. We really wanted to release this episode to coincide with Are You OK Day on the 12th of September, which will be a couple of days after this episode comes out. And in that spirit, I really hope that you listening out there are okay. And if you are, perhaps you'd like to reach out to a friend or a relative and ask if they are okay. And then just listen. I know from my own experience that just listening can be quite difficult to do. I mean, that might just be me. Without overlaying your own personal history onto what the other person is saying. But just see if you can listen, acknowledge and perhaps empower your friend or relative to ask for help if they need it. And then perhaps just check in on them from time to time. Let them know that they have your love and support. That got a little bit heavy there, but before we get on to the conversation with Emily, I just wanted to talk about an event we have coming up at Garden of Yoga. On Sunday the 20th of October at 3pm, Nicole Blythe from Go Slow Yoga will be hosting a two-hour restorative yoga workshop. This will be a deeply restful workshop that incorporates accessible, slow movement and breathing practices suitable for all levels of experience, even absolute beginners. I know Nicole well and I'm sure there will be props for days. It will be a wonderful, luxurious and soothing afternoon. I'll leave a link in our show notes at podcast.flowartist.com. Alright, that is more than enough from me. Let's get on to the conversation with Emily May. Well, Emily May, thanks so much for coming and meeting with us today. So good to have you here. Uh, perhaps we could just start with a little bit of your background and where you grew up. Sure. So I'm Melbourne born and bred. Grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. I have lived here my whole life. Travelled a lot, but I've always lived in Melbourne. And what brought you to yoga? So that's a really interesting question. I got into yoga about eight or nine years ago, and it was a friend of mine came home from London, and she was really getting into yoga, and she said, we should give it a, you know, let's go and do a class. And it was actually New Year's Eve. And I mean, yoga is so different now. There is a studio in every corner, but eight or nine years ago, there wasn't. So I looked up and found one. And New Year's Eve was a hard time to find one. And found one in Glen Waverley, of all places. And we went, and I really liked it. I used to do calisthenics when I was younger. And I was like, oh, I like this. So I, after that class, I then 
um, found a studio close to home and did it and I just loved it. And within a couple of months, I'm like, I need to learn how to teach this. And so I did it for a year and then the next year I did a teacher training. But one of the reasons why it really resonated with me, not only because I did calisthenics, but when I was younger, I was actually quite sick. I had, unfortunately, was misdiagnosed by some doctors and had a lot of pain in my knees. And it's a long story short, but I, yeah, I often in a wheelchair, I was unable to walk and saw lots of doctors, surgeons, physios. And some of them thought I was making it up. Others were like, that's the worst problem we've ever seen. I was going to have a couple of knee operations and my dad said no, because I was too young. And at the time I was a little bit frustrated, but was actually really grateful. Um, and then it was just one summer, I was at my mum's cousin's house in Mount Martha and she had been a diabetic and she had been trying some treatments with this lady who's an energy healer. She's like, you should try it. She sort of helped her with her insulin. And so I was like, so sick of being sick? I'm like, sure. So in a few weeks later, I went down to Frankston and saw this lady. And as soon as she saw me struggling out of the car and trying to walk up the stairs, she's like, how's your back, Emily? And I'm like, nothing wrong with my back. I'm fine. She lay me on the table and I was completely crooked. And she's like, you don't have a knee problem. You actually have a back problem. The pain is referred from your knees. And I still to this day remember saying to her, so does that mean I need to go and have my spine fused? And she said, no, I'll, I'll help heal you, I'll help treat you. And within a couple of days, I was walking. And my thing that I wanted was that summer, my favourite band is Pearl Jam. And all I wanted to do was be able to stand up at that concert, and, well, to be able to go to that concert and be able to stand up. And uh, yeah, six weeks later, I was standing up and I did. And first song came on and I was in tears because I was just... If often I would stand up, my legs would fall from underneath me and it didn't happen. So... So I guess you're a fan of the song Even Flow. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that... I have seen Pearl Jam a lot. I've heard that song about 50 times. So, yes, it's a good song, but yes, yeah. But it is a good song about flowing. Um, <laughs> so that happened to me when I was a teenager and then when I discovered yoga and it was... My friend Fleur is actually someone I've met through going and seeing Pearl Jam, actually. When I was doing the yoga, I'm like... It made me feel connected to my chakras, which is what my Maggie, my energy healer, was healing on. And at that time, I'd been seeing her for a very, very long time. I would, I still went and saw her every month because I just, she was a beautiful person. And she was retiring and stopping healing. I was the last person that she did healings on. And it was around the same time that I discovered yoga. And that's where, for me, it was something I'd for years been going and seeing her and she was sort of helping rebalance my body. And then I was able to do yoga and do it myself. Just sorry, just to wind up, did you ever get a diagnosis on what the back issue was or was it more of an energetic thing? So what she said to me was, and she was quite angry actually because I was like the worst problem that she had seen and she used to be a matron of a hospital so she actually discovered doing energy healing work because she'd been working in hospitals and then she wanted to do things to be able to help people more and what she said to me is you must have had a fall and when I was 10, I did fall off some play equipment at my primary school. So basically the reason why I had pain in my knees was referred, but I used to have my feet used to stick up and I had cold feet, which is no energy circulating through my body. So when she was treating me, probably the second or third treatment, she was working on the chakras and I literally remember my left hip just like clunked to the table. It was actually quite painful. And the, the six weeks when she was healing me, I would see her once a week, but my body was obviously recovering. I mean, I was 15 at the time. So she said, because you're younger, you will bounce back more. But she puts it down to 
a fall. And that's the thing. Kids can fall when they're young and then it can... Yeah, and like bounce up like nothing's happened. And you, you don't think. And, I mean, I'd been seeing a physio for weeks. I used to have my knees strapped, the things that I would have on my legs, and there was actually... Like I had really bad pain in my knees, but it wasn't coming from there. It was purely my back and the energy not going through. And that's why it's really important with yoga. I mean, it can really, you can really heal yourself and you can really bounce back from a number of different injuries because you're connecting in with your energy and being able to balance it. And it's funny, for years I used to say to people that Maggie healed me and I think I was quite attached to going and seeing her. Like when she was retiring, that was really hard for me because I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? And I'm sure like a lot of fear came up as well because like all oh, these treatments made me well. Like if she goes what away, am I, is it going to go What am worse? I going to do? Yeah. And, but I've had several people say it to me since, she didn't heal you, Emily. You healed yourself because you can only heal from within. But she held the space and... Very, very true. I mean, I'm also a Reiki master and I have people all the time saying, can you heal me? And it's like, no, but it comes from within. So Maggie was an amazing woman, but I send a lot of people down to see her, but she would often not want to treat some people because she's like, that person doesn't want to be better. I don't want to waste my time. I can't heal them. Because she had a really rare talent. She would see someone like me and she knew exactly what it was that was wrong with them straight away. So it was a rare talent. It seems quite horrific to me that there were actual doctors saying that you were making it up. No, I've actually got letters from doctors. Said that It was actually interesting because they were also wanting me to even go and do mindfulness and things like that to be able to mm-hmm. deal with pain management. But it was actually, like, it was bad. Like, I was totally crooked. Mm. And, like, my feet, yeah, like, up like this and now down. So that's why I think, luckily, my dad was very big on go and get multiple pieces mm. of advice. And, I mean, I was so close to having both my knees operated on. And it wouldn't have worked. Correct. I was very angry for a long time about... Because I didn't go to school camps. I missed out on a lot of things when I was younger. But the thing is, I wouldn't have it any other way because also if doctors had figured it out, I would have had two knee operations and probably a back fusion. Whereas through channeling your own energy, which is basically what she was doing, and that's what yoga can help you with, I was able to not have those serious operations. And I guess in the yoga world, do you have any key teachers there? It's a really interesting question because my greatest teacher probably is coming from Maggie, so my energy healer. She taught me a lot. So the way that I teach yoga now is very much about from energy. So when I teach a class, I very much gauge. Like I do often have plans. Sometimes I don't because I, I literally follow the energy in the room. So I have trained with all sorts of different people. Like I've trained trained in Reiki, meditation, yin yoga, I've trained with a lot. Probably one of my key teachers that's really influenced me, though, has been Mark Feely at Westside Yoga. So a lot of people know him. He used to, you know, as part of Australian Yoga Academy and through going to Mark's classes when I was doing my teacher training. So I live in Hawthorne. I used to always travel over the bridge across to Seddon, was his yin classes. And for me, that was something that really got my passion I was doing my teacher training then anyway, but that was what it was because, again, it was those getting into meditation because yin is those long holds. It's those mini meditations each time, but it was the connection to the chakras, which I'd been influenced by from such a young age. So he's been a big influence and I used to travel over there for about three or four years going to that studio and then he actually asked me to teach in the space. So Mark's been a really great influence for me as a teacher, as a friend, a mentor and a boss. So it's been... He's probably my biggest influence. Nice. Yeah, we love Mark and, yeah, we spoke to him a while ago on the podcast. 
And yeah, we'll set because he used to teach over. Yeah, just 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 by. around the corner. I used to from come it. here to that studio. Oh. Wow. Yeah. I used to travel all around just to go to his classes. Oh, nice. No, yeah. yeah, we were really disappointed when he stopped teaching there. Well, he's currently taking a break. He I is. Know, yeah. It's my sabbatical, but he's he'll be back in March. Oh, oh nice. excellent. Which is really exciting. So, yeah. so he's probably my biggest influence. So. Has it been your past? experiences and the pain that you've had to manage that's kind of drawn you towards working with people with like mental health challenges and with anxiety and kind of pain of their own? Is there another reason? So I guess for me, obviously I had that experience when I was young. So I'm a bit untrusting of medical people. I always look at the bigger picture now after that, because when I was unwell, all the doctors ever looked at was my knees never looked at my whole body. But in terms of where it's kind of gravitated to what I do now, so I studied marketing and management at university. And so after finishing uni, I actually went and worked in a number of different corporates. I don't know if you guys have worked in corporates, but it is a is a different kind of experience. I've taught yoga classes at offices. So oh, yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. you would know highly stressed, highly strung out people. And so that was my That was my everyday and I did that for about 15 years. So I worked in consulting, worked in banking and one of the reasons when I was getting into doing yoga, obviously I've talked about some of those, but it was also, it was really, really stressful and needed something to have for myself. So that's where I got into doing yoga. But one of the other things was, is that people used to come to me and ask me a lot of questions about health and wellbeing and you could tell how stressed they were. So I was just teaching people a lot about different things to do with their breathing or meditation or what yoga studio should I go to what should I do people were like oh I want to do a teacher training so I was helping people but I found it really hard working in corporate and being quite stressed and strung out and being around people like that and then going particularly doing my teacher training and then going around these people who were really mindful and really happy and a totally different vibe and I am very sensitive to energy so I found being in those environments in corporate to be quite challenging from that perspective and so the reason I sort of gravitate into what I've been doing is because I've been in those environments and I see the, the stress and I see the difference that it's made in me in doing yoga, meditation, mindfulness. And so I want to help those sorts of people. A couple of years ago, a few of my friends have passed away due to mental health. And one a couple of years ago really struck me quite deeply. And so I looked into a lot to do with uh, mental health and anxiety in particular. You know, a lot of people take medication and that's not necessarily... The solution and obviously with my background with what happened to me when I was younger it's always what what is the bigger picture so I've just been exploring lots of different things so I found that yin yoga is a really great way to be able to do that because it gets people out of their mind and in corporate environments high stress their people are just so in their head so can you be still so that's where I've just been exploring that and I found last year I actually stopped working in corporate to do full-time teaching and when you do that and when you teach at night you see these people coming in and I can relate to these people straight away because I can see it I can see the stress I can see what's happening you know there's a lot of bullying that can happen in organizations that you know I personally experienced bullying and it can really have an effect on you but doing meditation doing yoga can really help you try and detach from some of those experiences quick question do you ever find that people who are in that state and in a highly stressed environment really struggle with the stillness of yeah. yin yeah I, I mean I've had people say to me I don't know how you can sit still and do that because they're so on and that is a challenge for a lot of those people I'm like just be still and you know one of the biggest things and I'm a real massive advocate particularly with anxiety is mobile phones so I know I used to have two phones but I had two phones because I'm like when I leave work 
I'm leaving work behind. But then you're still carrying two devices. And so, you know, I did a corporate gig about a month ago and I had half the people take their phone to the mat. And I said, you can't have your phone at the mat and you need to turn it off and you need to turn the vibration off. And they all like kind of freaked out because they're so used to being on, well, what are we going to do if I miss an email? So what are you going to do about the email now? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's right. And I I always, when I do workshops, I was a workshop. I give people a break in the middle. One of them went up and actually checked her phone midway. I teach aerial yoga and in the middle of the class, I sometimes readjust the hammock height and I used to say, oh, you could get a drink or you go to the toilet. And then I found if I said, oh, just do anything else that you feel like you need to do, people would pull their phones out of their bags in the middle of the class, where it's literally a minute while I'm readjusting their hammock. So now I'm just saying, you could have a drink or you could go to the toilet. <laughs> I just, mobile phones are really bad. And the things that like Facebook or whatever do with how they try and hook you in, like I don't have any social media apart from Instagram. That's the only one I have on my phone because they do things to hook you in. And so particularly in that mental health space, the biggest thing and people who are so switched on in corporates is encourage people to have their phones less. And I think yoga is a place where more and more corporate people are going because they are so stressed. They're like, how do I, what can I do for myself? How can I feel better? But encouraging those people, I mean, just coming to the studio is one thing, but then get rid of your phone. Um, I actually quit a yoga studio earlier this year because... I would have people, their phones would go off and I was very strict about it. I'm like, I can't have phones in my studio because you need to be able to, you need to be able to switch off. So if I can give anyone any advice about trying to help people with mental health or any of your um, students is really have a strong policy about no phones, that they have to be on aeroplane mode. You can't have them at your mat. And even if you don't have a separate space, so a lot of studios don't have spaces, like a separate reception area, really be strict on it and have signs up and those sorts of things because there are a lot of people going to yoga studios who that's their time to meditate, that's their time to... Mm-hmm. And that's what people say to me. I come to your class, Emily, because I want to decompress. I don't want to... I'm, I'm so busy going, I just want to stop. And I mm-hmm. think that's where so many of the people coming to yoga are doing. If we as teachers, studio owners can help people really switch off, start with the mobile phones. Yeah, I think we just put a phone off sign up in, in our studio out the back. I think that's the place to start because, mm. you know, I know in this studio where I was teaching, it took three months. I kept asking and asking and students were getting really agitated too because they're like, I know that you teach. I don't like it when these people are in the studio and they're talking really loudly or their phones are on because you teach differently. Because if the teacher's on edge, then the students aren't going to get the same experience as well because mm. you don't want to interrupt the flow of the class with the phone going off. So. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that I've had experiences teaching a class and there'll be someone just on their phone up until the very last minute. It's sort of like, yeah, I think you need to put that away. And I think that's, I think because so many people are dependent on phones these days, if we as a community of yoga teachers, if we can start in that space, but even like the um, watches, a lot of people, like I know some studios who have the mirrors, they won't let people have the watches either because because right. they can reflect on the mirror and then, you know, can affect everyone. So I know a lot of studios are becoming quite strict about that. And I must say, I do teach quite a few people who work at hospitals and on call, which, you know, that's a reality. Yeah. And this is a private class and everyone there does work at a hospital. Yeah. And they're really good about it. Like, they have their phone off to the side. It can't be on silent because it might be an emergency. But they are not checking in 
on it. And I find medical professionals, they're good because they, they respect others as well. And so absolutely, they are a different tribe. But I mean, I remember I was at a class that at AYA, Dominique, I oh, know, I think it was Mel. And yeah, someone was checking her phone midway. But I know it like really was stressing me out as a student. So if you're stressing the person out, teacher and other students... But yeah, medical professionals is a different thing. But like I know um, when I was teaching this corporate class, one of the students had said to me, oh, I'm worried my daughter might ring. I need to make sure that she gets home. And I actually said to her, how about you give me your phone? Tell me who might ring. And if they do, I'll come and talk to you because otherwise she wasn't going to switch off. She wasn't going to get the benefit of that class. So there are a few things that you can do. So beyond the phones, cycling back to my question about practices of stillness when your mind is running a million miles an hour do you think there's a place for a more active practice for someone who has that mindset to eventually get to that place of stillness or do you think it's important to sit with that and sit with that agitation and let it settle gradually over time. I guess another way to say this type A person who's really driven and really ambitious might respond more to a fast-paced flowing practice because it feels like it gets them to the same place, but, you know, they can use that energy. And so, I mean, I've come from a corporate environment type A. I got into yoga because it reminded me of calisthenics and it, it did. So I think that yoga, the vinyasa flowing classes are a great gateway. And I know a lot of people used to do Bikram and, and I know there's lots of different schools of thought on Bikram. I personally haven't done a class, but it's not my thing. But I think what Bikram has done for a lot of, and there's a lot of yin teachers out there that used to be into Bikram. If that gets someone into a yoga studio, then that's great. And that might be what that person needs for a year or two. But then gradually they'll, they'll hopefully try other classes like yin or meditation or they take out of that the meditation in a class, in a vinyasa class, and then that can help them with that. And I think that's where when you're talking about mental health and particularly when it's around anxiety, the things that really help people is meditation and is breathing because you need to get out of your head. And so if in these flowing classes people do go there for exercise, but if you can start to introduce the meditation at the beginning, at the end, and some conscious pranayama, that's that gateway. Then if you offer the other slower practices and do workshops and those sorts of things, and that's like what happened with me. I mean, I was doing the vinyasa classes and then I went to a couple of Marx classes. Totally changed my world because I was finding that was just so relaxing and it just felt amazing. And his five o'clock yin class on a Sunday night, you know, we'd sometimes have 50, 60 people lined up outside the door because it's just that thing to finish your weekend and start the week. But yeah, I mean, I'm one of those people. I started with the flow. I couldn't sit still. Now I prefer the yin to the flow. Mm, and I've actually read as well that for some people, even though it is ultimately a really helpful and powerful practice, but breath awareness can actually be quite triggering and quite stressful. When you're born, the first thing you do is breathe. And then when you die, the last thing you do is exhale. But a lot of people actually don't breathe the word properly, but a lot of people reverse breathe. And a lot of anxiety can be because people aren't breathing properly. They're often breathing from their chest and they're reverse breathing. So they're breathing in the opposite direction. So those sorts of people, if you can be teaching them pranayama that can be calming it can start again it's a gateway and an introduction into it but obviously with anxiety people can have things like panic attacks and anxiety attacks and if you don't know what they are that's at a moment where you get really quite stressed and one of the key things to help 
get out of, or not get out of, because you're in an anxiety. So the core of a panic attack is about 10 minutes, but then they can linger, the after effects for a longer period, and it depends on the individual. But the key thing is, like I've spoken to doctors about this, they also recommend it's, it's breathing, it's meditating in that moment. And so a lot of people who, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of people who've worked in corporate environments and they've had, like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm having a heart attack or something. It's actually a panic attack. That's what one can feel like. So that's why a role that yoga teachers can really play is about teaching people about breath. So I regularly teach anxiety workshops and I taught one a few months ago and one of the students actually, um, I knew that she'd had some mental health challenges and I messaged her the week after and I said, how did you go? And she said, I actually had a panic attack the other day and I said, did you take anything out of what I taught you? And she said, the breathing, Emily, the breathing. I was able to just sit there with that and it was able to help me. So, and you know, it can just be the simple breathing of four breaths in and an exhale of six. So like a count of four for the inhale and a count of six for the exhale. Because it calms down your nervous system. That's the thing. And when you have a panic attack, it's a lack of oxygen to the brain. So how can you do that? It's by that, by that breathing, calm your nervous system down. It can really, really help. So that's an important role. So teaching people, you know, sometimes people call it the, the, the box breathing, the four box breathing, whatever that is. But so many of us, we don't, we don't learn how to breathe. We're just born and you just breathe. But through yoga, you can teach that. Like, no one's going to go somewhere and look up, how do I learn how to breathe? But when you go to a yoga class, you then start to learn about that and it can, you know, it can really change your world. Hello, Ran here, just popping in to let you know about our Patreon page. Patreon is just a way that you can help support the podcast from as little as $1 a month. Supporters get access to extra special content via our Patreon page, listings on our webpage and shoutouts on the podcast. Speaking of which, I'd like to shout out to our latest two supporters, Claire Canine and Gabrielle Boswell. Both of these wonderful individuals have actually been on the podcast, so Joe and I would just love to thank you both from the bottom of our hearts. We use these funds to pay for some of our episodes to be transcribed so they can be accessed by the hearing impaired. If you'd like to help us be just a little bit more accessible and gain some of the benefits I mentioned, just go to patreon.com slash flow podcast. All right, that's more than enough from me. Let's get back to the conversation with Emily May. We have a mental health question on our new client form, which is actually an addition after speaking to some people on the podcast. So... I can look around the room and I know in some of our classes there's up to like two thirds or even I remember one class, it was a small class and there was only four people there and I knew that three out of those four people struggled with anxiety and they'd written that on their form. If we didn't have that question, I probably wouldn't know that unless they'd told me or they'd written it under the general health challenges question. What are some ways that us as yoga teachers can sequence or use our words to make that yoga space as safe feeling and as comfortable for people who might be dealing with these issues. And that's the thing with anxiety is that a lot of people have anxiety and may not know. And I call it the silent illness because so many people have it and they may not know. And then other people certainly don't know because even though people say there isn't a stigma, there is still a stigma about it. So people don't want to talk about it. But if you talk about in a, in a yoga studio, in a class, 
the chances are that if you have 10 people in the room and majority of the people that come to yoga are, are women that like in a room so at the moment the stats are that one in three women will experience an anxiety condition versus one in five men so anxiety is more common in women than men but if you think of a room of 10 people three of those people are going to have anxiety now they're either going to know it or not but you may not know that because you're not they're not going to tell you um, and I think that's really great that you've got that on your forms because I think a lot of people, a lot of studios don't have that and people don't know how to handle that or how to work with that. But in terms of people with anxiety, that's where you're creating that calm space. So a big one is no mobile phones. I think talking in studios because people, can, anxiety, people with anxiety can be quite sensitive, so not having that. Anxiety is a fear of the future. It's a fear of what's happening or a fear of what people think. So, again, just talking to people about how don't worry about what other people are doing. I often say to people, you can come to my class and you can lie in Shavasana the whole time if you like. You don't need to do anything. You don't... All these things are options. So giving people those options, giving people child's pose, making it normal. Like, I've gone to yoga classes as a teacher in studios I've taught in and I've laid there in Shavasana the whole time. And the actual teacher has said to me afterwards... Do you know what, Emily, it was really good that you did that because so many of the students pushed themselves because they feel like they need to do stuff. But watching you as a teacher just lying down was a good thing. And I think touch can be a thing that can be stressful for people or group stuff. So sometimes people will pair you up in classes. <laughs> That's like... A, and I... Like I I'd, we don't even like that in teachers. Like one of my favourite teachers used to do it in six AM classes, and right. I just you just I'm not I, ready for that. Because you, you go because you go to yoga to kind of be in yourself, right? So mm. I think definitely those sorts of things. And I, I know as a teacher, I mean everyone's got a different as a teacher, and then as a student where they like being touched. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff about trauma, like touching students. Mm. I think you've got to be really careful about that and so okay. particularly with anxiety because it is a fear of the future. It's a fear of what are people thinking, what's going to happen and they're so in their head. So I think you need to create that safe space of no phones, no talking and everything's an option mm. and really giving that and not, just not pushing them too hard, not making sequences too crazy difficult because then they're going to be like, oh, what if I can't do it? Then I'm failing. And, you know, in, in their head they're having this dialogue. They're worrying about what's coming up. And then they can't have that full experience of being in the class. And if you're giving options and it's a really complicated sequence, that's like 30 different poses coming <laughs> at you for that Going sequence crazy. of 10 postures. So I know that the way that I teach is I like to try and keep it quite simple mm -hmm. um, because a lot of people come to my classes who do have mental health challenges, who have heart problems, who have cancer, and they come to my classes because they know that they don't have to push themselves to those crazy ends of the stratosphere and you know every teacher has a different their different tribe like people who want to do the other things they'll go to other teachers as well so I think it's important for yoga studios to offer something for everyone but yeah particularly for anxiety it's trying to remove any of those things where they're going to have a fear of what's coming up what am I going to have to do so this is a little bit of a off-the-decide question, but one of the reasons why it's helpful for me as a studio owner beyond you know, as a compassionate teacher to know what people might have going on in the background mental health-wise is say someone just cancels quite a few classes in a row, I appreciate that they've cancelled that and that's not a problem for me at all and knowing that they have some mental stuff going on, it's like, well, I can understand that this was not the right week to come to class. I know another teacher and she's wonderful. She has a very small studio and when I was doing a training with her, we were talking about 
people with chronic illnesses, physical or mental. And she actually said that she doesn't really accept people cancelling sessions with her because she feels like if it's too easy for them to cancel, it's too easy for them not to leave their house and one week becomes two weeks and it's actually really valuable for them to come and move and get that benefit. And if she makes it just too easy for them to cancel and opt out, it's too easy to opt out in the yep. future as well. What's your stance on this I mean, that's, little quirk? That, that's a tough, that's a real tough one. So agoraphobia is a fear of an event or a place and that can be quite stifling. So that's, that's a part of what anxiety is. And so sometimes people may not leave their house for a long... Like, there are people who may not leave their house for a very long time. So, but see, everyone's different. So The for right some answer of, for someone is not the right answer for someone right, else. That's right, because for some people, forcing them out of their house is actually a good thing. But then if someone's had a panic attack somewhere, then yeah. if they're not feeling that great, then going out is not great. And you like, don't want your class to be another source of stress in their life. Yeah, and, like, I was just talking to a friend just before and he, I mean, you, you realise it now, but he was having panic attacks. But he had this job that he really didn't like and used to catch the train. And I remember he used to ring me and he'd be like, I just had to get off the train, I was sweating, I was feeling really, really unwell. And he was having panic attacks. He didn't want to go to the job. He actually ended up quitting that job. But even now, he was just saying when he goes to the races, when he goes to the football, he actually purposely will go before the football finishes or he'll wait till afterwards. Because you can often, and this is what happens with anxiety, you have a fear that you might then have a panic attack and that might happen. So I think it's going to be a case-by-case basis. Like I think for some people, forcing them to go to a yoga... Well, not forcing them, but, you know, making it difficult for them to cancel is a good thing, but then for other people, not so great because with anxiety or any mental health, there's triggers. Mm. So that's a really, really tough one. I think what it could be is about having a conversation with that person and trying to find out, like, what is going on. Mm. Uh, Obviously within your boundaries because, again, you're not a psychologist or anything like that, Mm. but within your boundaries. But I think having a good cancellation policy that people know so that, again, as a studio owner, you can't have someone constantly cancelling if you're then going to be losing income from that. But then it's I would be having a conversation with those students to kind of find out what is going on because, yeah, some people it's going to be good, some people not. Yeah, I'm actually thinking of a case we have at the studio at the moment and it's just as much we want them to sort of get value out of, of what we offer. And yeah, if they're like on a class that expires at the end of the week and they've cancelled three sessions that week. So it's kind of like... You don't want people to miss out. You want to be, like, really welcoming. You don't want to put pressure on people. But I know sometimes sometimes people feel really bad when they cancel something and they feel embarrassed yeah. to go back. Yeah. Or and if they don't show up, then they feel embarrassed to go back. But I think that's one of those things with anxiety is that it is a silent illness. And I think that person, depending on where they're at with their journey, it's it's going to be really different. Like some people, it would be really good to be... Yep, just going to do yoga. And I think I think the other thing is, you know, sometimes I wake up, I'm like, I don't feel like going to yoga. But when do you feel worse going to yoga? Very rarely. <laughs> so it's even like having that conversation. How good do you feel when you've done a yoga class? So if you can get them on the phone or whenever they come, if you know that they're prone to cancelling, just say, how good do you feel after this? And then maybe it's that conversation. Remember, remember how you feel now. So when the next time you feel like you don't want to come, just remember how good you'll feel. I guess it's that thing as well of like, even if you come, you can, like, be in Shavasana the whole mm. time. Mm. And, and, and encouraging that. It's, it's about encouraging that safe space. And that's why I am quite... 
big on then saying to people about being really open about choose what you want. Real, I mean, a lot of studios do it. You know, child's pose is your, is your best friend. But then creating that space with the phones, with the noise, with the talking. And I know a lot of yoga studios also encourage talking. And with mental health, one of the things is people not feeling connected. So talking, like being able to talk to people can be great. And for some people, that might be their only ad- adventure out of the house to go to yoga but about having that at the before or end, but not when people are sitting there waiting for the class to happen and the meditation to be there, because it is that. And there's a really, really good book that I recommend. There's a number of different books on mental health, but one of the ones that I would highly recommend is one by Johan Hari called Lost Connections. It is just an amazing book and it talks about anxiety and depression but it's a lot about connections and the things that people really, really need. It also talks a lot about medication and those sorts of things because people with mental health, some have, some are on medication, some are not. A lot of doctors these days are recommending that people go and do yoga, meditation, focus on your breath. So if, if people want to read more about mental health, and I think that's one of the things as studio owners and teachers is read up on it. Like that's certainly what I've done, speak to people. So I know like Are You OK Day is something that has brought a lot of attention and that's always on the, tw- you know, that's in September most years. But then it's not just one day, it's it's the whole it's the whole year. And like with Are You OK Day, that, that actually came about because the guy that created it, his father committed suicide when he was in his 50s. I've forgotten the gentleman's name that created it, but that organisation only has less than 10 staff, but they have 85% awareness within Australia. Just having that simple conversation, are you okay? Because a lot of the time people aren't. And I know I've gone to are you okay events and had really senior executives saying they had so much stuff going on in their life and all they needed was someone saying, are you okay? Just that, that caring. So it could even be about that. So I would suggest for teachers certainly read up on it because people say there's no stigma about mental health, but there still is. So read, try and immerse yourself. Johan Hari's book is really, really great. Sarah Wilson, you know, from I Quit Sugar um, fame or book, she's also got a really, really great book that I highly recommend. And I always have to get the title right. It's called First We Make the Beast Beautiful. That is a really fundamentally interesting book on anxiety. So she experiences bipolar, anxiety and depression. And I think another thing, people need to change their language as well about talking about it being something that people suffer because a lot of people, like most of us are going to experience anxiety at some point in our life. So it's not a suffering, it's a thing that you experience. So I would definitely recommend those two books for people to learn. But Johan Hari's in particular is quite, it's about depression as well, but really amazing. There's one other book that I would also recommend. It's called My Age of Anxiety by a guy called Scott Stossel. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's S-T-O-S-S-E-L. But that's also a really good book because it's explaining some of the intricacies of anxiety. And I think that gives people an understanding of what can be happening in someone's mind and their body so that you know that when people are coming to studio, perhaps the experience that they are going through. Nice. And I can put links for those in the show notes as well. So I guess we've already touched on this though, but what are some of the causes of anxiety? It's not necessarily just one thing and it can be different for every single person. It can be conditioned. So for some people it can be genetics, but it doesn't necessarily mean if you have a mother or a father or a grandparent that that necessarily means that you're going to be predisposed to that. It can be sometimes to do with personality traits. So some people can be like perfectionists 
easily flustered, so therefore their energy can be more prone to it. It is something that can develop in childhood if you're quite anxious. So sometimes, particularly like if a mother is quite anxious about a child, that can then obviously have impacts as they get older. But it's something can happen, but doesn't necessarily mean that it's then going to happen to you later in life, but it can be triggered. And so it's then when there's ongoing stressful experiences that happen that that's when it can be triggered. So it can be things to do with work like stress with work or changing your job. That's why Johan Hari's book is really good because it talks a lot about things to do with depression and it talks about, like in this modern day, like I've come from a corporate environment, a lot of people that go to yoga are coming from that, they need a reprieve, is what's going to happen. And there's so many, like in the jobs that I had, there was a restructure every six months. That has an ongoing effect on people. It's if you don't feel connected to the work that you're doing, that can be another trigger. It can be things to do with, like I was just talking about having a baby. So if you're really anxious about that, and a lot of people struggle to have children. Or struggling with fertility, yeah. So that can be a major trigger for people. Relationship breakdown. It can also be if there's some traumatic experience. So some of these books are really good, like Johan Hari's book. They've done a lot of studies to do with the women who were pregnant uh, 9-11, than the children and a lot of them more predisposed to anxiety or or mental health because of what happened there. These books are really interesting because they also look at even the Holocaust, what kind of happened to people then. They can then have a fear of dying and it can have, there's so many fascinating books out there that you can read about things that have happened to previous generations that can then kind of imprint on, something can happen to your grandparent that imprints on you and when you look at some of the Holocaust survivors, the grandparent might have experienced, unfortunately, being in, in a concentration camp and then their grandchildren can then feel a thing of suffocation or, like, are they going to die? But that can be something that's happened in their grandparent that's then gone down generations into that person. So those sorts of things can happen. If fear of dying or losing someone, something traumatic, obviously domestic violence can be another thing that can really um, trigger people. Like I talked about 9-11, but any other terrorist kind of things like that can really make people quite stressed. Other things, you can have other physical health problems like hypertension or diabetes, those sorts of things can perhaps be other things that can go in line with anxiety, but doesn't necessarily mean that you are. Because everyone is so different, everyone has different genetics, everyone has been brought up in different environments, so it's quite varied. But certainly it can be something that can begin when you're young and then it's ongoing things that your body is then, and it's your nervous system, right? So your nervous system is overridden by things and then it just can't, can't cope. We know that yoga and mindfulness and breath can help with anxiety. Uh, Are there any other types of practices that can help? I mean, anything which you're getting into your body and out of your head is really good. But certainly some things that can trigger is sugar, alcohol, and obviously certain non-prescription drugs can not be great. Um, And often they're people's crutches as well. Yeah. So... They can be things, and that's why one of the reasons why Sarah Wilson with her I Quit book, Sugar Books was she knew that she had some health conditions, that the sugar can be quite triggering. So that is certainly something. Other things, just simple things, like I've already said phones, social media, I would be getting off those because, again, social media, it's about what are people thinking. That's that fear of the future, blah, 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 so I would get off that. Just simple things like even walking barefoot walking on grass so you know the Chinese you you see just those simple things of being able to do that so things like even like acupuncture and those sorts of things where you're really getting into your body I think things about not taking work home and even like with study trying to take study breaks you know simple things like I know I used to do it I used to eat at my desk Mm -hmm. 
You need to get out. You need to have a break. Surrounding yourself by people that nurture you rather than people that stress you, stress you out. Eating really, really good foods. So again, eating organic, healthy foods is a really, really big thing. But anything that's going to bring you into the present, into your body, and that's where yoga is great because it, it does that and it helps with the meditation, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Just back to the food and alcohol things, it's so interesting because say someone you know has been through a breakup or something, it's like that's such a normal society response to be like, right, let's go get drunk, let's go have this like decadent meal, let's treat ourselves. And I guess it's that short term you might feel better but then you'll feel like more crap the next day and like less able to pull yourself up and go to yoga or like go buy food and then make food. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess some of those slips can be okay, but it's really about being really, really good foods mm-hmm. as often as you can. And unless, I mean, I mean, mental health is such an, an issue now. But you look, everyone just eats out all the time. And when you eat out, the food is full of sugar and processed stuff. You don't know what is going into that food or what might trigger you. So, and you know, like they talk about your gut being your second brain. And mental health is to do with your physical brain, but then this here can be a bigger trigger. And I, so a lot of yogis also donate meat. I know I don't, but that can also be a thing that can, in some books, like um, when I was reading Sarah Wilson's book, that was talking a lot about that, that you can, you can be more prone to not be as great with stressful experiences. So eating good probiotics, so whether that is that you have the physical probiotics tablets or kombucha, sauerkraut, coconut yogurt, eating those good bacteria to get your body right because that brain, your second brain is in your belly. And that's why the foods that you eat can aggravate it. I think also Ayurveda has some really great things around Ayurveda, Pitta. Kapha. That's it. Oh, my gosh. I always forget that one. We just went to a workshop. We had like a, a, a yoga therapy Ayurveda training last weekend. Oh, how was that? <laughs> amazing. Was yeah. yeah, with Amy Wheeler. Oh. And she's amazing yeah. on mental health stuff yeah. as well. And I guess that also brings me to another thing, like the flip side of trying to put really good things in your body and really nourishing food, like that can also flip into another source of stress and pressure in your life and another feeling like you're failing if you're not eating, you know, organic everything. And I think, Yeah, I think that's where it's just, again, doing the best that you can. And, and it's all, it, everything's about balance, everything in moderation. But I think, I think understand your doshas as well. Like I know for me, I'm pitta. So, and I always used to struggle with spicy stuff. Like I can't have it, but if I have it, it makes me feel ugh. so... If you can learn about your doshas, know what food's going to trigger you, then just avoid some of that stuff. So wherever best you can. But it, it's so hard in our current day lifestyles to be able to do everything well. But if you can do as many things and try from as many different angles. And another thing that Amy was really big on as well for helping to manage anxiety is just to have a routine to get up at a routine is a really time. big one yeah yeah it's, it's about knowing that if your schedule's all over the shop that can create stress just from that and then and I think that's the same with food like if you can try and be as regulated as knowing when you're having your food so that your body can fall into a pattern because it is that again it's that fear of the future it's a fear of not knowing what's going on it can really get yourself really out and we've spoken about some of the things that can just be bad for anxiety just in the general world but do you know of any sort of yogic practices that might not be so good or contraindicated for people with anxiety well I would probably say and again I'm not an expert on Bikram but probably is not 
like it's such super a hot room because <laughs> it's too stimulated and then mm. if you can't have the water you can't get out then you've got that thing so yeah anything that's too yang mm -hmm. i think people need to gravitate to more doing the yin side of things and mm -hmm. that can be the slower flowing classes or those sorts of things i think sometimes partner work like i was saying before mm -hmm. not necessarily the greatest um mm -hmm. thing i know for me as well like I, i'm really big on the pranayama meditation but i do a lot of sound stuff as well and that really helps because the sound is talking to the chakras and being able to create calm so I guess, I mean, I go to a studio that does play loud music, but I kind of can block it out. But I guess depending on the tribe that you've got, anything that's too, any music that's too loud or what have you could also be something that's not great for a lot of those students as well. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's about managing who your students are and, and the offering that you're then going to have. I guess some of those heating breath styles might not yeah, be so good either. I think especially either. like sometimes breath retention, especially with mm. the breath in the body mm. or like those really stimulating yeah, breath practices. Yeah, that type of thing, yeah. Yeah, would probably not be. Yeah, but I mean anything that's also letting them get rid of stale air as well because people who have anxiety are more likely to oh, yeah. breathe from their chest so they're and they're going to breathe breathing in the opposite direction so really encouraging people to again breathe from your belly so I've studied Reiki um, I've studied a lot obviously yin so Chinese medicine and Indian and everything is talking about your hara or your you know your solar plexus so really breathing out through your belly really filling up through your belly uplifting up through your chest and then going down so it's it's creating like that circular motion where you're breathing up and out because reverse breathers are actually breathing from their chest and through down the back of their body, whereas you want to be breathing from the front of your body. So they are I haven't actually heard it explained like that before. Because mm. yeah, yeah, you want to breathe up. Does that, does that make sense? Because you're breathing that energy up and it feels so that's your energy center. So if you want to really be able to create that calm as well as fire yourself up, breathing up through there and then really allowing it to calm because they're breathing in the wrong direction and it's not their fault that they're doing that, but it's just how they've started breathing. People who've been sexually abused also breathe reverse as well and from the chest because if you've, that's happened. I just know from working with people who are kind of shallow chest breathing people, often there's also a lot of like neck and shoulder tension as well because if there's no expansion room for the lungs to go down, you can only go more up and then everything feels more tense and more elevated around your shoulders and your chest. And, and that, then you're not getting the air. And, and also that's how you are when you're stressed. So correct. that just trips you into that stress. Correct. So even if you can get, like I know a lot of pranayama is taught sitting even get people lying down so they can put their hands on their belly and they can feel it going up and then getting them to put their hand on their chest and really feeling that motion because when you're lying on your back, it can really, really help bring that. But, yeah, that's the thing. Everyone gets stressed and it's all up here because everything's up in your head It's and it's lack of oxygen. How can you bring it down? So really using that to calm. I know that there are quite a few breath practices as well where like arms are involved and it becomes a bit more of a full body movement, mm. which are often recommended for people having trouble feeling into their breath or people who just, it stops it being quite so internal and inward looking. So if someone's not ready for that stillness and just being with the sensations in their body it's a way into that where you can mm. use your arms and your breath and your body movement so you're still present but it's not quite as confronting as say a silent breath awareness meditation might be I mean I guess that's what yoga is though right that's exactly that, yeah that's, that's why it's that gateway which is I think as teachers we need to be getting really out there telling people the benefits for anxiety but I think doing breathing at the beginning and end of classes is so important because people will feel it and even Nadi Shodna 
just balancing out the hemispheres of the brain is a really, really great one that people can just come to. But I do find that four box breath or even just that circular breath I was talking about before are really good ones. And I know like a lot of my students do have mental health conditions. They all find those ones to be really helpful. I think it's just bringing people to the attention of their breath because so many people just aren't. Because like I said, you just instantly do it. And, you know, it's one of those weird things when, when you're born perhaps when we were born and less so now, one of the first things that used to happen is if a baby wasn't breathing, they'd slap them on their bum to get them breathing. And that's actually quite a violent way to then start breathing. Like, I know it's practical because they want you to get the oxygen in, but not necessarily... Yeah, surely they should just do CPR or something, yeah, like chest compressions. So I don't know what they do now, but then, you know, <laughs> that, that used to be the thing that would happen. So then people may not have that great experience to do with breath. And speaking of kids, what about kids and anxiety? So this is a a thing that I think we need to really be encouraging with yoga and really getting it out there now because the the stats are a little bit disturbing and I think this whole... I'm glad I'm not a kid now, like with social media. I just don't even know how you would cope with it. But some of the stats are 24% of primary school children have a mental health issue and 40% of secondary children have a mental health issue. And they're saying that by 2030 that the leading cause of death, so that's that's 11 years away, will be suicide. What? Oh. Yep. The World Health Organization is saying that. So in 11 years' time, the biggest killer... That is the trajectory is, at the moment. ...is suicide. And they're saying that depression will be the biggest mental health. And if you think about the way that the world's going with the way that we're so connected to these phones and things like that, that is a major thing. So with kids... It's really, and the social pressures and things like that, it's really about can you get them in your body. So I have a lot of students who come to my anxiety classes, workshops, and they're like, what about my kids? And so I think it's about trying to get them into class as as young as you can. Things that can really help with kids is also like colouring, so using books and things like that, because, again, it's getting them back into the present. So getting them to do things that can be quite fun. But I think there are a lot of yoga studios that do offer kids yoga but again just even making breath fun because they're the things that can really help them and just sitting still so I think the more that schools can offer programs and yoga studios but also schools so as we as yoga teachers can we go into schools and be able to be able to teach these things because the stats are just frightening Um, and I think as parents too trying to remove the phones as much as possible because that is one of the biggest causes so I do run workshops for kids. So my next one is at um, Westside in October. And I've, I have had a huge amount of people asking me to do that and, and schools. So the way that I teach those with kids is really about making it fun. So it is a combination of doing some poses because they, they want to move because kids can be a bit, you know, wanting to move and then really just trying to make it fun and creating fun meditations that are things that kids can gravitate towards but also kids have a low attention span so even if you're only doing this for five or ten minutes it's still better than nothing I think if parents are going to yoga they're doing meditation classes and coming home and encouraging it for their kids as well and there's you know there's so many different apps out there as well so if the parents and the kids can be sitting there and doing it even just parents encouraging kids to go outside like when we were kids you would go and 
play. I remember my dad used to go, go and play with some cars, go and chase some cars. You know what I mean? Like he used to, he used to you know, he's a bit of an parent. Go chase some cars, but you don't do that anymore because you're scared about your kids going You're scared about them getting run over. But even just if your kid, like your kids are going to be stressed, like you can take their shoes off and just sitting out inside in the grass, just sitting reading a book, like whatever that is, but not necessarily just hang them a device mm-hmm. and just normalising that. But with kids, if you can just be doing a meditation or you know, learning stuff about breathing and just saying we're just going to sit here and just bring calmness. Like you don't even need to talk about it being yoga or meditation but just doing that so parents can lead by example. You mentioned your workshop with kids. Are you doing anything else in this space to help people with anxiety? So I run a lot of different workshops for adults Mm -hmm. and also kids. For me as well, having had a background in corporate, I do offer a lot of sessions within corporates and I do a combination of different techniques and things that I've learnt. So I'm very much, as I said from the beginning, I do a lot of stuff to do with energy. So for me, it starts at that energy. So I use a number of different techniques. So within corporate, and that can be a really great way. A lot of people don't realise they've got anxiety. So a gateway. I also do a lot of one-on-ones with people either at their homes or within studios. So for me, and I just... It's even like with my Instagram account, I'm just about posting things about things and just trying to create a normalisation of, of anxiety because there is a stigma and a lot of people don't want to talk about it. The stigmas are going down, so I think people can talk about it, can help. I was really impressed. Brian Brown was on the project. He has a movie out called Palm Beach. And it was really interesting because he actually talked about the fact that he had anxiety and he said he was seeing a doctor and the doctor had given him drugs and he wasn't feeling better. So he said, I want to see a psychologist. He was able to work it out pretty quickly. But then Peter Helio said, you seem like the least anxious person. And he's like, yeah, but that's because the characters I play. And so a lot of celebrities are unfortunately taking their lives due to mental health because with anxiety, you kind of create like a a different version of yourself Mm. to kind of hide. So a lot of famous people all have anxiety, but they're creating like a different persona Mm. for who they are. So I think that's a thing where people can have normal conversations about it, making it a normal part of life and how we can be introduced in some of these practices. Normalising it can really, really help. And if people relate, they might then open up and that that could potentially save a life by just talking about that and, and making it that normal conversation. This is our sort of surprise question that we ask everyone. <laughs> it's a surprise that we ask every single episode. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you teach down to one core lesson, what do you think that one thing would be? It's to be in your body. Get out of your mind, be in your body. And any practice that's going to do that, whether it's nurturing food, whether it's the meditation, it's, it's that being conscious of your own energy. Nice. Well, thank you so much. Thank you yeah, so much for your... talking to us. Yeah. Well, thanks for the opportunity. And I think just one other thing I would like to say is I... Obviously, I'm a yoga meditation teacher, but I'm not a medical professional. So if anyone is struggling, that they should certainly speak to a doctor, a psychologist, their workplace EAP, or they should call Beyond Blue or... Lifeline, because they're the ones that've got the real experts that can help them. Absolutely, Maybe and it, we should put those links with this episode. True, as well. and it's also, I guess it's also worth mentioning that as a yoga teacher, it's often good to build up a referral network of, of these types of uh, professions as well. Yeah. But yeah, thank you. All right, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Emily. Anxiety is an issue that affects many of us, so I think it's a really important thing 
for us to talk about. If you've got any feedback or anything you'd like to share on this topic or any other, you can comment on our website at podcast.flowartist.com or join us on Facebook in the Flow Artist Podcast community. We would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, so we're going to be taking a break for a couple of weeks. Joe and I are going to Japan. I'm so excited. I've never been there before, and it should be a wonderful adventure. So our next episode will come out after that on the 30th of September. It's an interview with Swami Shantananda, formerly known as Jani Baker, but more often addressed as Mataji. Mataji was the second president of Yoga Australia, so it's an interesting conversation on the early days of the organisation and on the yoga scene back then in general, so look out for that one. Alright, our theme song is Baby Robots by Ghost Soul and is used with permission. You can get his music from ghostsoul.bandcamp.com and you should, it's great. Joe and I would love to honour the elders and originators of these wisdom traditions that we share, and we would also like to pay our respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of the land where this podcast is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Thank you so, so much for listening. Joe and I really appreciate you spending your time with us. Aroha nui. Big, big love.